Hey there, welcome. I wanted to share a little story that happened to me over this weekend and how it inspired me to do this episode. So stick with me because you may think, what the heck does this have to do with me and my health? But I'm going to connect the dots for you really quickly. So this weekend, I was getting ready to do some work and do a photo shoot with one of my clients who successfully conceived on her own completely naturally with my holistic fertility program, even though she had had five failed IVF cycles before that. So we were doing a little photo shoot, a maternity shoot for her. She's seven months pregnant with a healthy baby boy. And so I was getting ready um, to get going to do that photo shoot. I'm blow drying my hair and all of a sudden I hear this gloom, 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 gloom. And I think, what the heck is this? And I look over next to me to our bathtub and I start seeing what appears to be sewer water backing up quite rapidly into my bathtub. And so I yell for my husband to come in and look at it. I'm freaking out. Do I close the drain and so eventually I did do that and then I look into my stand-up standalone shower and there's sewer water backing into the shower then I look and see that there's leaking all around our toilet so I check the second bathroom that my daughter uses and there's sewer water backing up into the tub into that room into that bathroom and I'm thinking holy crap literally Super pun intended. And oh my gosh, did I freak out. Of course, it's starting to smell very quickly. And I am thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to be doing? Oh my gosh, what's happening? And so we literally went on a lockdown. We could not use any water. We had cooked a big, we usually cook a big breakfast on the weekends with bacon and hash browns and fruit and pancakes. We make plantain pancakes, but that's a different story. And we went on lockdown, couldn't do anything. Ultimately, had to have several plumbers come in. And it was funny because I was talking to my husband earlier that morning about this concept that I'll be sharing with you on a different podcast and the idea of being stuck and having a problem and what were some, you know, ideas of different analogies when you're stuck or if you have a problem that you need to think creatively and maybe look to different resources to solve. And the problem there, the example that I thought of was the idea of having, you know, some sort of issue with your plumbing and having to call a plumber. Well, you know, be careful what you say, right? So here we are in a plumbing emergency. We had several plumbers come out and they got access eventually after taking one of our toilets out. They found the outside access line and were able to discover that there were about, you know, who knows how many wipes that had clogged the main line going out to the sewer. And it's funny because we have been recently we potty trained our daughter and she's completely potty trained now and we do use a wiper too when she uses the restroom but it could have been that it could have been a slow accumulation of wipes or it could have been that one day she got a little wipe happy and emptied about you know a whole package of wipes in there but basically it clogged that main line so like I said it could have been the slow accumulation or it could have been just an a overwhelming the system moment and the gentleman who came out spent about four hours taking wipes out of the main line to try to get this thing taken care of needless to say after our second plumber came out we were able to free up the line and things were flowing again and we spent the remainder of the night until about 11 o'clock at night disinfecting toilets bathtubs and showers and floors and all that fun stuff so Number one, it made me grateful for having properly functioning sewage and bathrooms and all that stuff. And I just told myself that instead of getting super overwhelmed and negative about it, I wanted to use a technique that I'll also be sharing with you on a different podcast of how to take when you're feeling frustrated, angry, irritated, any of those negative emotions that they're basically just interpretations of what's going on in your life and how to look at that and change your attitude and change your emotions instantly. So I use this technique and involved in that technique are looking for different ways of interpreting this, interpreting the situation and finding ones that better ser serve you basically. So one of the things I thought about is how can I use this and use this story 
to convey a message about health and it came to me very quickly and that's how I'm going to make this association between my clogged sewer line and your health. So basically what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is a situation called histamine intolerance. Histamine intolerance or histamine sensitivity. There's different kind of um, terms for this. But basically, histamine is a, we call it a neurotransmitter. And that is just a chemical messenger, a messenger that acts through the nervous system and allows your body to talk. Now, you may have heard of the term histamine before if you hear allergy commercials, if your kids have allergies, if you have allergies. Um, you've probably heard of histamines, antihistamines like Benadryl, which block histamines. So histamine is a term that people may have heard before, but not a lot of people are necessarily familiar with what happens when we have an issue in this histamine kind of signaling pathway. So for many people, they can have symptoms that manifest in their lives when they either have too much histamine or they're not able to break it down. So histamine is necessary. We need to have it in certain amounts because it's a way that our body can communicate. It's a way to open up blood vessels and deliver blood to areas that need it. So let's say you have an infection or let's say you've um, been bitten by something and your body needs to send the immune cells to take care of it. They do that by opening up the pipes in your body. So opening up the pipes and dilating them and that allows the body to bring blood flow to that area and with it comes everything that would be necessary. All the tools are floating around in your blood and so when we increase the the blood flow of that area you can bring the tools like immune cells or nutrients different things like that maybe more oxygen so histamine is very necessary and we need it to function properly but for some people there can be issues you may make a lot more histamine or your body may not be as good at breaking that histamine down. There's actually something called an enzyme, which is a fancy name for a type of protein that acts like a little Pac-Man and breaks down histamine. Otherwise, it would just hang around forever. So you'd get this surge, you you know get the response that you need, and then what needs to be needs to happen is your body just needs to get rid of it. We don't need that histamine hanging around forever and ever. So these little enzymes come in and chomp, 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 chomp it down, break it down, so that your body can get rid of it. And this is an enzyme, I'm just gonna keep it abbreviated, called DAO. So this enzyme is involved in chomp, 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 breaking down that histamine. Once you don't need it, your body can get rid of it. Some people just do not make enough of that enzyme and they have problems breaking down the histamine. Now this may not be too much of an issue at times, um, but what can happen is that sometimes you overwhelm the body to a point at which finally there are symptoms of having too much histamine. So let me tell you a little story to kind of illustrate this. I have a friend who has two boys and one day, fairly recently, one of her sons was eating just a big bowl of raspberries and loves raspberries, eating them all his life. He's probably about six years old. And all of a sudden, after he ate these raspberries, he had really significant swelling in his hands. I mean, really bad. And it required Benadryl, which thankfully managed it. But it was a very, quite severe reaction to something that he had eaten. And they took him eventually to get some skin testing. And it turns out that not only does he have a sensitivity to you know, other foods, but one of those foods is, aller is uh, raspberries, pardon me. So what had happened for him was, in normal amounts, his body was generating histamine to certain types of food. And when he wasn't eating too much of certain foods or com combining certain foods, his body could break it down. It had enough of that DAO enzyme to break it down and manage it without having this, the effects of histamine take over. But in this case, it was just that his body became overwhelmed. And when it became overwhelmed, it could not break down the histamine. Too much histamine was around. And so he started getting the effects of histamine, but like histamine on crack. 
So two to too much histamine caused those blood vessels to dilate, among other things. And he got this really, really bad swelling and itching. And it just was like his body had been overwhelmed. And that's why I wanted to relate this histamine overload or sensitivity to what happened with our septic or sewer pipes is that those little wipes, our sewer pipes were able to manage everything going through them, um, which could be large things from people who eat a lot of fruits and vegetables <laughs> to these, you know, toilet paper and even wipes. So the pipes could handle a wipe here and there. But when all of a sudden my daughter likely dumped a whole package of wipes and flushed it in the toilet, it overwhelmed the system and the system got clogged and couldn't handle it. And when the system got clogged and it couldn't get rid of those wipes, there was this backup of sewage. Same thing with histamine in the body. The body can manage it for most people in, re in um, proper amounts and it can break it down so that you don't have any symptoms. But if there's a clog somewhere and that clog could be that you just don't have enough of that enzyme to chomp up the histamine and get rid of it, you start to get these symptoms. So I wanted to use this situation to kind of describe to you what's happening with the histamine in your body why this can occur and what I'd like to do is just leave you with that so you can kind of you know take this information and start to understand the histamine response and I'm going to come back on another episode and talk to you a little bit more about histamine what would cause you to basically be at increased risk where your body is unable to manage the histamine and how this would manifest or show up in your life because I think you might be surprised that you may be having symptoms that could be related to excess histamine symptoms I'll just give you a little bit of a teaser here such as you know abdominal discomfort or migraines or headaches or even even irregular periods so I want to come back after a moment. I just had something fall in my car. I have a box full of toys for the kids back there, so don't mind that. But basically, leave you with that so you can understand why people develop these sudden food intolerances sometime. And they may even be able to eat them, or you may be able to eat them in small amounts, but that when you overwhelm the body, that the sewer lines get plugged and you start to get symptoms of a problem. So I'll be back very soon talking to you about what puts people at risk for not being able to manage histamine, what can increase histamine in the body, how that would manifest, and what you can do about it if you think this may be an issue in your life. So a little lesson that we can learn from my blocked sewer drains, how we can relate that to what's going on potentially in your body. Hope this was helpful today. Let me know if you want to hear more about histamine, if it was still confusing, if you need more clarification, you can always send me a message. You can DM me on Instagram at Talia Lavore Health, or just leave me a message anywhere you find me, and I will get right back to you for clarification or more information. As always, I appreciate you listening. I love you. I appreciate if you subscribe, if this sounds like something that might be helpful for a friend or a neighbor or a sister or anyone you might know, please share. And I will be back at you to talk more about histamine and your health. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Well, hey there and welcome. Today's episode is a little bit different from my usual episodes. I know that this podcast is obviously geared towards you and women's health and issues that surround women's health. But today we're going to be talking about food allergies and two things that I learned about a peanut allergy that I think absolutely every person should know. And I want to share this with you and I hope that even if you don't personally have a peanut or food allergy or you don't have a child with a peanut or a food allergy, I'd love for you to stay and stick around and listen to my story because Number one, I hope that will help people kind of develop even more empathy and compassion and understanding towards people who have food allergies and women and 
men who have children with food allergies because I feel like it actually some people look at things like this almost as if it's a fad oh well everybody's got a food allergy now like no nobody can eat peanuts anymore I can't even let my kid bring peanut butter to school because everybody's got a food allergy and it kind of relates back to this saying that I have called it doesn't matter until it matters and you know I would say that I was a bit more compassionate maybe than some people before I had my children and um, had my experiences with food allergies. But I too was thinking, oh man, what's going on? Like everybody's got a food allergy. You know, is it really that what's going on? And it's really sad. You know, moms can't bake cupcakes anymore and bring them into their kids' classes and nobody can eat peanut butter and jelly and all these different things. So I do share that with many people. I, I was like that. And that's why I have the saying, it doesn't matter until it matters. You know, we try to be as empathetic and compassionate as we can towards everybody else's situations. But there are just some cases and some situations where you can't possibly really know what it's like until you're the one that's experiencing it and you're going through it. And so that's one of the reasons I'd love for you to listen today is that perhaps this will shine a new light on food allergies and will kind of help to build understanding and empathy. And number two, even if you, again, do not have a very close experience with food allergies, undoubtedly you will be around women, men, children who do have severe food allergies and who may actually need your help. And so you can be more aware of what we're going to be talking about today. And finally, you most likely know somebody, a sibling, a very good friend, a neighbor, a coworker, who has a child with a food allergy, specifically in this case, peanut allergy, but who may also not know what I'm about to share with you today. And I would love for you to share this episode with that person because truly you have the opportunity to save a life. These are life-threatening situations and we have to all look out for one another. Regardless of why there are more food allergies and I likely will be hopping back on myself or with guests to talk about why there's this huge rise in food sensitivities and food allergies. The reality is that there are way more food allergies than there ever have before. I know when I was growing up, I'm in my late 30s, I don't remember knowing you know, knowing anybody who had a food allergy. Maybe there was one kid in the school with a peanut allergy, and now it's becoming very prevalent. But regardless of what your beliefs are about that, the reality is that these people have severe reactions to food that can threaten their lives. And I just, if you would please, please share this episode with anyone you know that has a child or knows somebody with food allergies so that we can share this awareness. Because once again, I'm a physician assistant. I'd like to think that I'm very educated. I am a perpetual learner. And I did not know these two things about peanut allergies that I'm going to share with you today. So please share this episode and let's take care of one another. So I wanted to start off a little with a little bit about talking about my daughter's history. So my daughter Stella was born by cesarean section and I was very hesitant to have that happen. I knew the benefits of having a baby pass through the vaginal canal and having them be exposed to the bacteria in the vagina and how that was important in the very, very beginning and development of their own gut bacteria. I knew that this was important, but I had a C-section for the benefit of my health and ultimately for our safety of myself and my baby. And so Stella was born by C-section. She was exclusively breastfed, but within the first few weeks of her life, she developed severe eczema. And as a new mom who was already struggling anyway, you can imagine how this was really challenging. Now, some people may think, oh, well, your baby just had some eczema, no big deal. But this was really, really challenging for me. Number one, physically, she was in discomfort. She had eczema that would ooze because it was so raw on her cheeks and her forehead. I mean, it was just 
oozing and weeping. And that really is a risk factor for them for getting infections in their skin because their skin is open. And she was obviously uncomfortable. And I knew enough to know that this eczema was just a manifestation of other things happening in her body. And I also knew that this could be linked to her having food allergies in the future. So of course I became obsessive compulsive and started learning everything I could about eczema. And I promise I will share a podcast episode with you in the future about my recommendations for managing eczema from the inside out. So this kind of experiment and this dive deep into eczema brought me to my new passion of understanding everything about gut health and how gut health impacts the rest of our health. And so gut health is a huge, huge factor when it comes to skin manifestations of issues going on in our body. So I then became very, very aware of how I could support her gut health and my gut health. And again, I knew that there was this possibility that she had food allergies because I knew eczema could be a very strong sign of a food allergy. At the time, I was just thinking it could be dairy, it could be nuts. So I started, I eliminated wheat and I eliminated dairy because again, I was exclusively breastfeeding. And I made all these changes in our lives, which again, I will share on a podcast episode, but included changing all the skincare products I was using, all the soaps, detergents, um, dishwasher detergent, laundry detergent, and just really minimizing her exposure to chemicals and fragrances and things that could put her at increased risk. And I did see a really big improvement in her eczema, although it did persist. And um, at the time I was eating a very, you know, I tried to follow typically into this day a pretty whole foods diet, um, more along the lines of paleo, a lot of eggs, a lot of fruits, vegetables, meats, things like that. So I continued to breastfeed her and I started looking into the foods that I wanted to introduce to her when she was ready to start eating some solid foods. And one of the foods that was, I really was drawn to was egg yolks. And I knew that egg whites could be highly allergenic and so I definitely stayed away from those. Plus I believe to this day that the egg yolk is what carries all the beautiful benefits of um the nutritional benefits. I, to this day, love egg yolks if you can tolerate them, although you'd be surprised how many people actually can't and don't even know about it. But again, that's another episode. So one of the first things that I gave to Stella after a few vegetables that she tried was a hard-boiled egg yolk, and I mashed it into some other fruits and vegetables, and she did fine. And I did this about three times, and the third time I gave her some egg yolk mashed into some sweet potato put her down for her nap and she woke up from her nap vomiting at this point she was probably about six or seven months old and she vomited my husband was at work she vomited probably about six or seven times and I felt like I could see the egg yolk in the vomit not to get too graphic with you at this point but some I wondered I thought is there's no way that this could be the egg yolk I had given it to her several times before and she did fine but erring on the side of caution, I decided we're just not going to give her any egg anymore. So she vomited. She didn't have any other symptoms, no hives, no swelling of the lips, nothing else. But she, I mean, seven times was a significant amount. I didn't think she had any sort of gastrointestinal infection or anything because she had no fever. And after she vomited those several times, everything was fine. And we went about our lives. So fast forward, Stella's eczema is still there a little bit behind her knees, um, in the creases of her elbows. In fact, a lot, I used to see babies all the time who would be wearing the cutest little tiny outfits, you know, little tank tops and dresses. And for the first year of Stella's life, she wore pants, even though we live in Arizona and it gets to be 115 degrees, but she would just scratch so badly at the back of her legs that I couldn't let her skin be exposed when we were driving and I couldn't keep an eye on her. So there was still some persistent eczema. And then on her right around her first birthday, at this point, she started, she had been eating great. Because I had, I was really focused on whole foods. She was such a trooper, ate such great food. So around her first birthday, we decided that we'd give her a scrambled egg. And keep in mind that I have, I'm very well aware of the idea of the fact that people believe we should be exposing children to these highly allergenic foods at an earlier age. But I still uh, debate this strongly, and you'll see why moving forward. 
But um, obviously, eggs are more allergenic food. I gave eggs to my daughter at six months, and she didn't respond well to them. So we gave her a scrambled egg. She happily just ate three bites, yum, 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 yum. And within seconds, her lips started swelling. And then within a minute or two, she was projectile vomiting. And now we really strongly know that she has probably got a severe allergy to eggs. So I take my little one-year-old to the allergist. They do skin testing, which, by the way, is traumatic for mom and baby. I mean, it's not excessively uncomfortable for them, but it is uncomfortable. And then you have to sit there for 20 or 30 minutes with them without a shirt, without them touching anything, and waiting for these things to kind of see how they react to these skin tests. And at the time, I remember being so rushed and them saying, you know, oh, well, we're going to test for X, Y, Z. Do you want to test for anything else? And they put this list of 200 things down in front of me. And I think I want to test for all of it. But how would I do that on my tiny baby's back? I didn't know what to do, what to test for. I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? And I was just super rushed. And she said, oh, we'll just do the regular stuff. So they do the test and she responds and tests positive to eggs peanuts, almonds, dairy, and what's her other one? <laughs> eggs, nuts, and dairy. Those are the big ones. And I remember leaving just devastated. I cried for about two days. And um, then I realized that I had been eating eggs every single day since the day that she was born. I love eggs. I believe in the health benefits of eggs. And here I was breastfeeding my baby with eggs, just assaulting her day after day after day. So I went on an even more strict diet and her eczema improved drastically. And um, now we can see what she's sensitive to. I mean, there have been times where her eczema is completely resolved and she has gorgeous skin. And then there are times that it flares. And in fact, it was flaring despite the fact that I was, you know, had her on a very strict diet. And we ultimately determined she was sensitive to tomatoes. So herein lies the difference between food allergies and sensitivities. Again, another podcast episode that I plan on recording for you because there's so much content here. But somewhere around a year and a half, I remember making Stella homemade split pea and ham soup. And I had used this ham hock that I had. And at the time, I wasn't as aware as I am now. And I don't recall if I had checked to see if it had any nitrates or, or nitrates. So I made this really good soup. Stella, again, happily ate it. Within a few minutes, her lips started swelling. And I had to give her Benadryl. And it was obviously she was having a reaction. So I talked to my husband, and I thought, there's no way that it could have been the peas. And I, so I thought it had to be this ham hock with these preservatives in it. Needless to say, we avoided ham for quite some time, although I can tell you now that she can have pork, and she does fine with that. But we also avoided peas, which brings me to this weekend. We don't normally eat a lot of things like beans. We, again, follow more of a paleo lifestyle, although we know we break that kind of framework here and there. But I decided I was going to make some sprouted lentils. I, they got sprouted lentils. I soaked them in some apple cider vinegar to help with the phytic acid. And I made a lentil and mushroom stew served over mashed potatoes. And I had Stella. We got her ready for dinner. She was kind of cranky. We had a long day. She was just being a little bit of a stinker, kind of a brat anyway. And I told her I wanted to eat her to eat the tiny beans, and she did not want to eat them. So she had some pesto-stuffed mushrooms with that and some broccoli. And we told her that, you know, you have to try at least one bite. So she tries one bite and instantly is just crying and starts saying that she wants to go to sleep and she wants to go to bed. And she's just been such a brat up to this point that I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, well, do you want to go to bed? I'll take you to bed right now. And she goes, yes, I want to go to bed. And I instantly knew something was wrong because any of us who are moms know that, you know, we threaten to take a kid to bed and they're like, no, 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 I don't want to go to bed. So for her to say she wanted to go to bed, I knew something was going on. And so she continued to cry. She was really, really whiny and she was crying and coughing. And I thought she's just coughing because she's crying so much. And I said, you know, we need to just, you know, kind of take a chill pill here. Like, this is not appropriate. You know, we don't act this way. So I said, finally, I said, you're going to need to go to your room. I'm going to excuse you to your room. So I took her to her room and I could hear her crying in there and coughing. And I told my husband, she's going to cough so cry so hard that she's going to vomit. And I really hope she doesn't do that. And next thing I know is I hear her coughing and I go in there and she's 
vomited on the floor. And my instinct was just to be super pissed off. I'm like, oh, well, that's just great. You've been crying so much that you vomited. And then I started to think more about the situation. And all that was in there, despite the fact that she had eaten some other food, was a few of these little lentils and just a lot of mucus. Again, I'm sorry for being so graphic. You're just going to have to use earmuffs if you're sensitive to that. And then she said she just wanted to lay down. So I laid her down in her bed and she's saying her tummy hurts. Now, remember, she had had no symptoms, no tummy hurts, nothing. She was starving for dinner and all of a sudden her tummy hurts and she's crying. And I lay her in her bed and she's really tired and I start and it was dark in there and I looked at her face and I can see her lips swelling and I know, I now I know. I'm like, she's having an allergic reaction to something. And of course, I immediately start beating myself up and like waves of guilt in between taking care of her of how here I was yelling at her and frustrated and telling her that she was, she threw up because she was just crying and she was being a brat and it was her body having a reaction immediately. And we start racking our brain. What could it have been? She's had the pesto stuffed mushrooms a million times. She's had chicken. She's had roasted broccoli. And the only thing she hadn't had were the lentils. And I'm thinking, how is it the lentils? They seem like such a benign food. Like, who's allergic to lentils? So I get her to take some Benadryl. We get the Benadryl on board. And then she actually vomited the Benadryl up again. And I'm watching her and her face is getting fairly puffy. And I'm thinking, I need to give her this EpiPen. But I'm terrified to give it to her. I gave her the Benadryl again. I said, if she can keep this down and if her symptoms go away and they don't get worse, I'm just going to watch her. So I gave her the Benadryl again. And I watch her and her face is still puffy, but she's not having difficulty breathing. She's not coughing anymore. She's not drooling. She's able to swallow. And within about 10 minutes, her swelling starts to decrease. She didn't throw up again. And that will bring me to my, I learned two and a half lessons, probably three here. Um, but my third lesson, which I'll get to later. So I, she sits with my husband watching Pinkalicious and Peterific. It's her new favorite show on PBS. And I immediately do a Google search about lentil allergies. And so I wanted to share with you two things and that I've learned about. So Stella, obviously I shared with you, has a peanut allergy. And my Google search showed that there is a very strong correlation between children who have a peanut allergy and children who are then allergic to other things like lentils, beans, and peas, which are all considered legumes. So peanuts, a lot of people think of peanuts as a nut, but they're a legume, which is just a different type of food. And that's where these peas, lentils, and beans, they're all legumes. And because kids have an allergy to peanuts, you should be very aware of the possibility that they are allergic to other legumes, which is why Stella had the reaction to the split pea soup. I finally know the reason there. And then now why she had a reaction to lentils. I also found out that allergies to lentils are very common in Europe. In fact, lentils are the fifth or sixth most common allergen in many countries in Europe, as well as chickpeas. And we rare, my family rarely eats these things, and so it wasn't an issue up until this point. But I never knew that, you know, even knowing in my head that a peanut is a legume, I never thought that I should keep an eye out for her and a reaction to other legumes. And my initial response to this was that I was furious at our allergist. When our allergist told Stella that, or told me that Stella had these allergies and that she would need to have an EpiPen, she basically said, here's an EpiPen. This is how you use it in like five seconds. And there you go on your merry way. And I feel like, wow, what a incredible responsibility to be in charge of your child's life and to have this responsibility of knowing when, where, and how to administer an EpiPen and to just be sent on your way. Never in that meeting did she share that there could be cross-reactivity or that she would be at increased risk for a legume allergy. And I think this is especially prevalent with ch people who have children or individuals, adults, who have food allergies to a lot of different things. You end up trying different foods, which is good because your kids can't have some of the things that everybody else eats. When you have a child who can't have eggs, 
dairy or nuts, you start to really limit in some ways what your child can eat. In many ways, this has been a blessing because Stella eats so beautifully and she eats so many vegetables and fruits and different things that other children won't eat. She asks for roasted broccoli. She asks for asparagus and even Brussels sprouts. And I'm so blessed that she eats those things. And I know in the end that maybe Stella will live 20 years longer than other kids because she never had all the processed food that had eggs and dairy and nuts in them. But that being said, a lot of moms reach out for other items and other options to eat because their kids can't eat that. And so you open up, you know, beans and and chickpeas and lentils and, and peas and all these different things. And my research showed that there's a significant, maybe 20 to 40% of kids with peanut allergies have an allergy to these things. So the number one, the first thing that I wish I knew and that I want to share with you today is that if you, your child or someone that you know has an allergy to peanuts, that they may also have an allergy to legumes or foods in the legume family. Again, that includes lentils, beans, chickpeas, and peas. And then the other thing that I learned is that, and I learned this by reaching out to this woman called Melissa, who is at theallergymom.com. She founded that website. Just so happened that a few weeks ago, Melissa reached out. Well, she actually started following me on Instagram. And when I saw she followed me, I was intrigued by her name, of course, because of my daughter's food allergies. So I started following her. And actually, interestingly, yesterday morning, I went to her Instagram page and liked a few of her posts, one of which was basically raising awareness for food allergies. And it was in the name of a a boy who died at the age of 11 because of a food allergy. And when this all happened with Stella, I actually don't know why, but I felt compelled to reach out to her and DM her and tell her this and just say, I'm sure you know about this, but I had no clue. And so she really walked me through it and she was there for me on Instagram. I appreciate her so much. And she also shared something with me that I was not aware of. And this is the second thing that I would like any parent or person to know who is a parent of a child with food allergies or has them themselves, that there is something called a biphasic reaction. And so what this is, is that when some a person eats a food that they are allergic to, they can have the initial response. For cell, it was the lip swelling and the vomiting. For others, it could be hives, difficulty breathing, other things. When that those symptoms subside because they're given you know, medications like Benadryl or an EpiPen, or if it's just time, most of the time it requires intervention, there is the possibility that after they feel better that those symptoms can come back. It's called the biphasic reaction, and it can occur within even a couple days after they're exposed to the offending allergen. And I had never knew this. Again, was never taught this, never educated about it by the allergist. And even in my own research, I just never came across this. So after she told me about that, of course, I was terrified. I had already told the child care provider that we go to who's amazing about Stella's reaction, told her how she typically manifests if she does get exposed to food, and just told her to be aware of it over the next couple days. But after I learned about this biphasic reaction, I reached out to her again and just made her very well aware of the fact that this could happen. I also found in my research that there are kind of indicators that would increase um, a person's risk for having a biphasic reaction. And those are the if the child is between six to nine years old. Again, that doesn't mean if your child is younger than that or older than that, or if you're an adult that you wouldn't have something like this. But apparently in the studies that were conducted, kids between the ages of six and nine were most likely to have this. The second indicator would be if they needed more than one dose of epinephrine. So sometimes when kids have an allergy, they get an EpiPen, but their symptoms persist and they have to get another dose of epinephrine. And the third is if the administration of the EpiPen is delayed or if it takes longer than 90 minutes to get them to the emergency department. So 
those are the two main takeaways, although I will share a bonus one here. If anybody who has a child with a peanut allergy or allergies in general, if they have a peanut allergy, to be aware that there is a much higher risk of an allergy to legumes, including lentils, beans, and peas. And even after the child is doing better or the adult is doing better, that there is a chance of a biphasic reaction where the symptoms can reappear that can last for up to 72 hours. And there are things that increase the risk for someone to have a biphasic reaction, which is if they are between the ages of six to nine, if they need more than one dose of epinephrine, if the dosing of epinephrine is delayed, or if it takes longer than 90 minutes to get to the emergency room. Which brings me to my bonus lesson that I learned. And that bonus lesson is that I probably should have given Stella the dose of epinephrine. And I'm actually sitting here today feeling tremendous guilt. I didn't give it to her because I was scared. And because i just scared of giving it to her. And I've revisited the signs and symptoms. I would encourage everyone to, who has a child with allergies or who has allergies themselves to really review the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis. It's easy for me to look at Stella and say, okay, she had lip swelling and she had vomiting, but that's not anaphylaxis. But if you look at the definition of anaphylaxis, that is, one of the signs of anaphylaxis is that they can have a tremendous drop in blood pressure up into the point where they actually pass out. For Stella, she probably did have a drop in blood pressure and it manifested in her being very, very tired. So she didn't pass out, but she felt like she needed to go to bed. The other signs could be if they have two or more of the symptoms such as oral or throat symptoms, which are lip swelling, tongue swelling, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing. Other symptoms can include hives or GI symptoms, which are diarrhea, vomiting, or um, abdominal pain. And Stella definitely had two of those. She had lip swelling and face swelling and she had vomiting. And so in reality, she had an anaphylactic reaction and she should have had an EpiPen. And so that's the third lesson that I learned that I really hope that we don't have to go through this again, but it's a harsh reality that that could be a possibility. And I want my husband and I and anybody taking care of Stella to know, and eventually Stella herself, to know that if these things happen again, and this has been consistent now with her about how she manifests when she has an allergy, that that truly is a anaphylactic reaction and she needs an EpiPen. And giving her that should decrease the risk for having something like the biphasic reaction. So those are my three lessons. I'm working with Stella now to... She's now a little bit older than three. She knows that some foods don't agree with her. Some foods make her itchy. Some foods make her sick. And I'm trying to balance talking her through that and knowing that we have to be aware of the foods that just don't agree with us sometime with not developing a fear of food in her mind. I always tell Stella that her body heals itself. And it's so cute because she'll wake, she'll get a scratch and she'll wake up in the morning and come running to me. Mommy, my body healed itself. And I believe that it's so powerful. And so I don't ever want her to feel like a victim. I don't ever want her to feel afraid of food. But I want to balance that with her being aware of these risks. And we also spent today talking about how she felt. And I asked her, I said, when you ate those tiny beans, how did you feel? And she said, my tummy hurt. And she's, and she's, I said, did it hurt anywhere else? And she said, yeah, in the back of my throat. And so I'm just going to be very well aware of those things so that she can tell me and she can tell other people if she's having those. So I wanted to share this episode. I appreciate your patience. Again, I know this is a podcast for women and a podcast about women's health, but if it's truly a podcast of, about women, then I know that there are many of you out there who have food allergies, many of you who have children with food allergies, and many of you women out there who know people who are affected by this. And I wanted to share this and share the lessons that I learned because I talked to my husband today and I was so angry about how we never were told about these things. But the fact of the matter is we weren't told about it. And what can I do now to change my interpretation of this? And what I think I can do is if one person listening to this is made more aware and makes different decisions that could potentially save somebody's life, their child's life, then 
I made a difference. So that's why I'm sharing this with you. I talk a lot about being, about women being, you know, a community and looking out for one another and being a tribe. And that's why I want to do this. So please, 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 I hope that number one, if you learned something today that you can apply this to your family. And number two, at a minimum, I'd love if you share this episode with anybody, you know, this is not about growing my podcast. It's not about anything like that. It's about taking care of one another and increasing awareness and watching out for one another and giving each other resources. So thank you so much. Thank you for letting me take a moment to just kind of walk through this and digest it myself and be a bit more vulnerable and share what my family went through this weekend. And I have so much gratitude that Stella is doing well and I'm so blessed with my little babies. And I hope that also that you take a moment at the end of this episode to just sit in some gratitude about you know, what you have in your life to be grateful for and the moments where we really, you know, stop and think how lucky we are. So thank you for everything. If you have questions or concerns, let me know. Again, um, reach out to Melissa. She's at theallergymom.com. She's also on Instagram. I really hope to have her on the podcast to talk about her journey as well. And if you'd like to hear more about me talking about different things like allergies and sensitivities, I'd love to hear about it. I have plenty ideas of what I can share with you. Being a mom to a child with allergies, breastfeeding babies with allergies, snacks um, that I have found that work well with the kids who have allergies, traveling with allergies, eczema, you name it. I have plenty to talk about. So please let me know what you'd like to hear about. Leave me a comment, DM me on Instagram, leave me a message on Instagram, and I will be reaching back out to you. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you more than you know, and I hope you have a really blessed day. Bye-bye. Well, hey there, and welcome, my friends. You are in for a treat. Today is an awesome day. We are going to attack one of the biggest issues that any of us face, and it's that feeling of being stuck. You know what I'm talking about. Are you feeling stuck right now? What are you feeling stuck about? I know that it's there. Do you feel like you can't lose weight? Do you feel like you've got no energy, but you can't figure it out? Do you feel like you can't manage your thyroid? Can you not figure out what is going on that's getting in the way of getting pregnant? Where are you feeling stuck? We all feel stuck at some point. And I'm going to teach you here today the first of two parts of how to get unstuck. And it's going to be super simple, but life changing. So let's just dive in. Okay, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to start by saying it. I'm going to tell you this one statement and we're going to break it down. But this is the first statement you need to know. This is the first thing you need to just just feel it in your bones. You need to grasp it. It needs to just like hear it over and over and over in your brain. You need to just keep saying it over and saying it over until one day you're laying in bed and literally you just shoot out of bed. Your eyes pop open and you think, oh my God, I totally get this. So, okay, I've built it up enough. This is it. Are you ready? Okay. What got you here won't get you there. Now, let me say it again. What got you here won't get you there. So let's break it down. Okay. So where is here? Well, basically, we're just talking about it. Here is that feeling of being stuck. Okay. So you're in a place and I, this is so life changing to me that when I, when I heard this and when I really started to get this, and I mean, it's such a simple statement, but you'll, you'll see how complex, not how complex, but how powerful it is. When I really got this, it completely transformed me. It changed my life. And I realized that I had to 100% integrate it into everything I was doing when I was working with clients and patients. And now it's so important to me that I've even created videos that I've got on my website that you can check out all based on this idea. And this is how I achieve success in my personal life, in my business, and how I guide women to achieve success and to just obtain or attain all of their health goals. And when you really get this and you apply it, 
It is straight up like finding a pot of gold at the end of this beautiful rainbow because it's like the first domino. It sets off this chain of events that leads you to achieving your deepest desires. But this is what we have to look at. Okay, so what got you here won't get you there. This came from one of my mentors and he likes to quote Einstein and say that a problem can never be solved at the level that it was created. So let's break it down. I've been thinking a lot about like different analogies I can think of to kind of get this point across. And I you know there's so many. Like let's think about when you were in high school or you you had all these dreams of things that you wanted and but you knew you'd have bills and all these different things and you knew that in order to get everything you wanted you probably had to have a career or a job or a business that would generate that income. And so then you had to realize, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to be to get those things so that I can you know, buy myself a house, pay my bills, have a car, take vacations? You knew that where you were at in that moment wasn't necessarily, you didn't have that skill set right? So another idea I was thinking about in, unfortunately, I thought about this early in the morning and later, and just literally an hour later, it actually came true in my life. But I thought of this idea of like, if you have a plumbing problem, so all of a sudden your plumbing line is blocked and you've got all this backup of nastiness. So you have to either learn how to fix this plumbing problem, plumbing problem, or reach out to somebody who knows how to do it. No matter what, whatever got you to that point, it won't get you where you need to be. In order for you to get to the place where you need to be, which is getting your drain unclogged or your pipe unclogged, you either need to learn to do it yourself or reach out and find a resource that can help you. So basically what I'm saying is, when it comes to your health, you've been doing some things a certain way and they've got you to this point, right? But for you to get to that next point, I call this being in Stuckville, and for you to get to the awesome town where you feel great, where you have energy, where you lose weight, where you're active, where you have, you know, just amazing libido and beautiful skin, and you can get pregnant easily when you want to. In order to get from this place where you are over to Stuck, from Stuckville over to Awesome Town, you need to elevate to a different level. And that's what really makes the difference. You need to figure out a new way of being so that you can do things differently so that you can have what you want to have. So this also comes down to another concept that I'll probably talk a lot with you about with you in the future, which is be, do, have. So most people approach situations or issues or things that they desire and have do be meaning if I only had more money I'd be able to get my labs done and then I'd be able to be feeling better because I know what's going on but that's living by your circumstances that's living by your context instead of saying who do I need to be so that I can do the things that I need to do so that I can have the result that I want right? So you could say, who do I need to be? Do I need to be responsible? Do I need to be committed? Do I need to be determined? So I can figure out what's going on with me. Do I need to learn something new? Do I need to reach out to a new resource? All these different things. But basically, my point is, what you've been doing has got you to this point. And if you want to go to a different point, if you want to elevate to a new level, if you want to get a result that you haven't yet achieved, then you need to do something different from what you were doing before. Now, you might already be doing some of the right things, and so by doing something different, maybe it's just, you know, adding on, stacking it on top of that. Maybe you've already made some good changes, and you've had some results, but then you kind of plateaued. So it doesn't mean you got to ditch everything you've been doing before, but it means that you've plateaued there and that you're at this place because you've maxed out your resources. And so if you want to get from here to there, you need to do something different. You need to be somebody different. Does this make sense? What got you here won't get you there. It won't. And that's where you have to realize 
where there's all these options for you? Can you learn new skill sets as far as your health? Can you learn more? If you've got issues with fertility, can you learn more about what contributes to fertility? Can you address your mindset and how that contributes to fertility? Can you reach out to somebody who is really knowledgeable, whether it's a healthcare provider or you know something like that, who can guide you? But basically, Everything you've been trying has led you to this point, and now it's tra- it's time to kind of build on that, elevate to a new level so that you can see down what you were doing and then make new decisions and make changes and be different and get you to where you need to go. So let me know what your thoughts are. What do you think about this statement? What got you here won't get you there. Have you had experiences that now that we're talking about this, where it's been really, really clear to you about how this is applicable to your life? Does that make sense to you? How do you feel about this? Can you see how this could positively impact your health or relationships or finance or anything? What got you here won't get you there. What are other steps? So if you're struggling with something in your health, What does this mean to you? What does getting there mean? What do you think you need to do? Who do you need to reach out to? Let me know. Send me some comments. DM me on Instagram and let me know what your thoughts are about this subject. We're going to explore it a little bit more. I know it's a little bit out there, but what a cool thing to have in your back pocket. You can walk around your life anytime you kind of see adversity, anytime you feel stuck and you feel like, oh God. What is going on? Why can't I change this? Start thinking, what got me here won't get me there. And what's the next step? Reach out. Let me know what your thoughts are. And I'll be coming at you with part two of how to get unstuck. Talk to you later. Well, hello there, friends. Welcome back again. We are continuing our conversation about how to get unstuck. And I'm coming at you with part two. And now remember, I promised that these would be two very simple statements, but completely life changing, completely empowering. So the first thing we talked about was this idea of what got you here won't get you there. So hopefully you've had a little bit of time to just try that one on for size and see how it feels. And today we're just going to keep it super simple. I'm going to give you your second life changing statement. Are you ready? All right, here it comes. You are where your attention is. Ready for it again? You are where your attention is. Now, this one's pretty intense and you have a couple options when you really start to break this one down and you start to really see if you can accept it or not. But basically what we're talking about here is that your current reality, everything that you see in front of you right now is a reflection of you. Everything. So that means take a look at everything in your life. Take a look at your health. Take a look at your work or your business. Take a look at your finances, your relationships, your home, your physical body. How do you feel? All these things are a reflection of you. Now, when I first was introduced to this concept, it hit me really hard. These two concepts hit me really, really hard. And the reason was I finally felt like things were making sense. Before I had heard these concepts, I just felt like I was drowning all the time. I felt like I was failing and specifically in certain aspects. So as far as I felt like I was really, really good and really succeeding and excelling in my health and as a mom and in my family. And I knew that I was like this amazing physician assistant and I had all this beautiful information to share and I'd help so many women, but I was just kind of feeling stuck at how to transition from a traditional healthcare practice into this online world where I felt like I could really make a huge impact and make a difference. And I I had studied it for so long. I'd become this student of the online world and I knew what I needed to do but I just wasn't making the choices. I felt paralyzed. I felt paralyzed by fear and I couldn't really understand it. Like, where was this coming from? Why was I so afraid? And I was just looking for answers everywhere. And I finally heard 
these statements from my mentor, who is Jim Fortin, and he basically shared these statements and is probably doing a much better job at describing them than I could ever, but I do strive to get better and better and better at this. But something in me clicked. And in that moment, I had the same option that you have right now when I'm sharing this with you. So let me say it again. You are where your attention is and your current reality is 100% a reflection of you. So I had two options at that point. So what are your two options? You can make one of two choices. You can either scoff at this. You can kind of pout and deflect it and kind of get defensive and say, that's not possible. Like, how is that even possible? Like, I can't control these things that have happened to me. Like, I can't control that a tornado came and destroyed my home. I can't control that I just got fired. I can't control these things, this, this, this. That's not my fault. So you could kind of blame it on everybody else. You could get defensive. You could actually go down a path of guilt and beat yourself up and be like, oh my God, you're right. I can't believe it. Like, I this is a reflection of me. I'm I'm a horrible human being. Um, I'm a failure, all those different things. So you can go down that path. Or what I challenge you to, to do today is to take the second path. And if you take the second path and you start applying what I'm telling you today, your life is going to start changing immediately. So you could take the second path and you can just accept your past as the past because it is what it is and there's nothing we can do to change it right? And guilt serves no purpose. It serves you in no way, shape or form. I'm not saying that I'm immune to guilt by any means, but this is something I'm working on tremendously. So you can either, you can accept that as what it is and then take 100% responsibility for you, for your life, for your finances, for your relationship, for your health, for your physical and emotional, you know, body, for your mind. Take 100% responsibility. You eliminate excuses. You quit blaming others and you see some amazing things happen. So if you take that first path, where are you going to be a year or two or five years from now? Are you going to be sitting in the same place, thinking the same thoughts, wishing you had all these things that you don't and, you know, getting pissed at the world because of all the things it's done to you, blaming your DNA, blaming your family history, blaming your parents for feeding you crappy Pop-Tarts when you were a kid, which is what I ate, by the way. Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to, are you going to live this life of the victim and be helpless and hopeless? Or are you going to choose path two? And see, with path two, when you really own this, super awesome things happening. You can start to feel energized. You can start to feel empowered, right? Because if everything in your life is a reflection of you, if you're always working on you, then you have the power to change everything in your life. Then nothing in your life is a circumstance. Everything is because you have the intention to create something beautiful, right? How empowering is that? You can become literally limitless possibility and potential because you are this gatekeeper. You have the potential. So I look back and I'm super proud because I could have easily gone down that path one and been stuck where I was, but I didn't. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind getting that kind of somebody shaking my shoulders and saying, wake up. Take responsibility. Your life is a reflection of you. But guess what? When your life is everything you want it to be, who gets to take to like, you know, bask in the glory of that? You do. Because it's you. You're the one that created it. And this is like, this is constantly evolving. This is just, this is a practice. This idea of applying, you know, these, these theories and this thought and, and taking this responsibility. This is, this is constantly evolving. We're all human. We're going to all, you know, you may start to really get on a roll with this and then have a bad day and that's okay. It's something we're working on and be gentle on yourself because, you know, up until this point, it's taken you 25, 35, 40 years to become the you that you are. It's going to take you a little extra time to change that. 
Took you a long time to get you here. It's going to take a little time to get you there. But some things can happen immediately. Some results and celebrations can happen very quickly. But remember, it's a practice. And a practice is the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method, as opposed to just having theories about it. It's repeated exercise in or performance of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. So this is something habitual. This is something you need to repeat regularly. So let's go over it one more time. Episode number one or part part one of how to get unstuck. What got you here won't get you there. Who do you need to start being to get you to where you want to go? And part two you are where your attention is. Your current reality is a reflection of you. Where's your attention at right now? Let's talk about your health. Is your attention at how little energy you have? Is your attention placed on how badly you feel about your body? Do you tell yourself that you're fat? Do you tell yourself that you're a failure because you can't conceive? Do you tell yourself that you're broken? That's where your attention is, and that will become your reality. You need to shift your attention to a place that serves you. It does not serve you to have any of those thoughts. So just take these, take these, and I'm going to come back to these over and over and over again because they truly are life-changing. What got you here won't get you there, and you are where your attention is. Where's your attention at right now? Leave me a comment. Send me a message. DM me on Instagram. Do whatever you need. Just tell me. Where's your attention at now? And do you, how do you think your life and your health could change if you've placed your attention somewhere else? Put your attention in a place that served you and didn't sabotage you. Let me know what you think about this whole conversation. Is any of this resonating with you? Have you had a mini aha moment? A big one? Do you think this is crazy? Do you want to tell me to pound sand? I don't care. (laughs) Just remember that these are the mindset shifts that actually get you results. These are the mindset shifts that help you to get unstuck. So that five years from now, instead of looking back and seeing that you haven't made any progress, that you haven't achieved the goals that you've been looking for, Instead of looking back, you look back and think, oh my gosh, look how far I've come. I am so blessed and grateful to have achieved all of my desires. All right, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Remember, I don't take anything personally, so comments are all welcome. And I will be talking to you later and seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.